Hi Church, welcome back again. We're going to continue our study in the book of Zechariah this weekend, studying Zechariah chapter 6. I've entitled my message, New Testament Believers as a Kingdom of Priests. It may sound very unexciting, the title, but I assure you that if we understand what I'm going to share with you this morning, we will understand much, much better our role as New Testament believers today. Zechariah chapter 6 contains the eighth vision, the last of eight visions that Zechariah had. Do you know that all of this happened in just one night? And do you know that in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1, we read that Zechariah actually fell asleep. Well, how not to fall asleep? You know, I mean, eight visions in one night. Poor fellow. You know, so the angel would wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know, one vision after another vision after another vision. And he must be thinking, praise the Lord. This is the final vision. You know what I mean? The eighth vision. But it's a very, very important vision. And actually, there are altogether 15 verses. We're going to read all of them. And it's very clearly demarcated into two portions. Verse 1 to verse 8 and verse 9 to verse 15. So let me read Zechariah chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 15. Just in five minutes, it's good to read the whole chapter. So I looked up again, and there before me were the four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dapple that spotted, and all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered me, These are the four spirits or the roi, or the winds of heaven, coming out from standing in the presence of the Lord, of the whole world. The one with the black horse is going towards the north country, the one with the white horses towards the west, and the one with the dapple horses towards the south. And when the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. And he called to me, look, those going towards the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. Verse 9. The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles of Heldai, Tobijar and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, king of Zephaniah. Take the silver and the gold, make a crown, set it on the head of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. What two? Crown, the king, and the priest. The crown will be given to Heldai, Tobijaya, Jadadiah, and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. Verse 15. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you and this will happen if you diligently obey 
the Lord your God. Very interestingly, the turning point is in verse 9. The turning point of the entire chapter is in verse 9. After visions, 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 eight times, huh? suddenly, no more vision. The word of the Lord came to me. Specifically, immediately after the eighth vision, the Lord speaks. So the eighth vision is so important, right? So what was it in the eighth vision that immediately after that came a prophetic word from the Lord? So what is the eighth vision all about? It is this. Chapter 6, verse 1. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, the mountains of bronze. Here you see four chariots, four coloured horses, red, black, white, and dapple, which is spotted. Now, many commentators have said, hey, this is exactly the same as the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 6. Listen, I'm really, really, really studying Revelations in preparation for next year, and I can tell you it's different. It is two different things. The four horsemen in Zechariah chapter 6 is very different from the four horsemen in, in Revelation chapter 6. For, firstly, the colours are in different order. In Revelations, it is white, red, black, and pale. Here is red, black, white, and spotted. So the colours are different. And not only that, here there are no horsemen. There they have four horsemen. Here only four horses. There are four horsemen. But more important is that the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 6 is the Antichrist. They come to destroy, cause devastation in the world. But who are these four horses in Zechariah 6? They are from the Lord. That's what it says in Revelation chapter, uh, Zechariah 6 verse 5. Who are these, my Lord? The angel answered, These are the four ruah, the spirits of heaven, going out from standing in the presence of the Lord. One is Antichrist. One is the Lord. So how can they be the same? They are not the same. Second thing you notice about these four horses or four chariots in Zechariah is that they come out between two mountains, mountains of bronze. So what's the interpretation? And this is it. So I drew up a table for you to interpret this vision before I go on to the application of it from verse 9 onwards. The four horsemen, as said in verse 5, they are the four winds of heaven, the four ruah of heaven that come from the presence of God. So these are horsemen, spirits, winds sent from God. Four means worldwide, universality to the whole world. Why bronze? The mountains are bronze. Why? Because bronze in the Bible always speaks of judgment. Exodus 30, Michael 4 verse 13, and more importantly, Revelation 1 verse 15. Why? 
Because when Jesus Christ returns in Revelation, he has his feet like burnished bronze. In other words, like feet put bronze, put in a furnace, blazing. Why? Because in Revelations, Jesus Christ comes as a judge. That is why John was not ready to see Jesus like this, not familiar with the sight, and he fell down as dead. Why? Because bronze speaks of judgment. The two mountains are Mount Olive and Mount Zion. All right? Now, the horses come between the two mountains. Look, if you have two mountains, what is between the mountains? The valley. Why do I say Mount Olive and Mount Zion? Because between the two mountains of Olive and Zion is the valley of Jehoshaphat. Joel chapter 3, verse 1 to 2, the valley of Jehoshaphat is the valley of absolutely right, judgment. So if I were to look at this vision, what does the vision speak about? Judgment. Judgment and judgment. Like all the other, possibly all the other seven uh, uh, visions. Why? Why is it that possibly all the, the eight visions, especially the eighth vision, talks about judgment? Because God is a God of judgment. God is a God of justice. We always know of God and Jesus as a, a love. Jesus is, a, is full of grace. Jesus is full of uh, mercy. Absolutely correct. But we forget. And that's where when I studied Revelations, believe me, it scares me. It frightens me. Because when Jesus Christ returns, He is not going to return as a God of mercy, which He did and, and the first coming. He is going to return to judge. And it's exactly, we must remember that. It's a lesson for you and for me, my friend. Don't take God lightly. Don't take Him for granted. And our human nature is such that we tend to push the boundaries. We tend to push the, 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 the boundaries of God's love and mercy. Yeah, maybe God is this bolera. But no, remember that. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of justice. Revelations, uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 22, in the KGV, Behold, the severity and the mercy of God. The severity and the mercy of God. The two holds intention together, and both are aspects of the same Jesus of the same God. I want you to know that, my friend. Listen to me very carefully. While there is still time, we must come back to the Lord. Do you know that as I studied Revelations, which I'm going to share with you next year, I noticed that there are two things that we can do while we are alive that we cannot do anymore when we die. Number one, we cannot do any more good deeds. We cannot do any more acts of kindness. We cannot do any more works. 
That's it. And secondly, when we die, we cannot repent anymore already. And both of these are very important, believe me, in Revelations. Good works and repentance. So my recommendation to you, my friend, I suggest to you, encourage you, while we still have time on the planet Earth, repent and do good deeds. Because believe me, Believe me, when we look at Revelations, both of these are very important and they will be taken to your account. So the thing is this, God has given us plenty of opportunities to repent. That's why in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, before God gave Zechariah eight visions, all judgment, God said. Therefore, tell the people. Therefore, S-I-B-K-L, I'm sharing with you. Therefore, if you're tuning in from other churches in Malaysia or elsewhere, I'm sharing it with you from the Word of God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Not what pastor says, huh? The Lord says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Turn, turn from your wicked ways and your evil practices. But the amazing thing is, during Zechariah's time, they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord, and hence the judgment. I want to believe that God has given us plenty of opportunities to spare ourselves from the judgment when we come to Him to repent and ask for mercy. And so this is what I coined, and I want to share this with you. If you want mercy, ask for it. If you want judgment, you ask for it. Don't blame God because God has given you plenty of opportunities to repent. And then from verse 9 onwards, after the warning of judgment to come, God says, Hey, I've given you eight visions of judgment, especially the eighth one. And now verse 9 I'm going to give you a way out. Isn't it amazing? Now pay attention. Now listen to me. I'm going to give you a way out because it is the heart of God that all of us should repent. It is the heart of God that all of us should be spared from judgment. So God said from verse 9 onwards to verse 15, I am going to give you a way out, he says. And the way out is this. How? How? Lord, how? through the forgiveness of sins, by the finished work of Jesus Christ, by the finished work on the cross by the Messiah, as the priest king, and therefore the word of the Lord came. So listen very carefully now. Listen very carefully now. Pay attention. Listen carefully as 
recommended and suggested by Zechariah and me to you. This is what the Lord says. Zechariah 6, verse 12 to verse 13. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place, build the temple of the Lord. Verse 13. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty, and he will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. This is the way out. This is the way out. The key is this. Verse 12. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The way out is the man. Here is the man. The KGV says, in a better way, I believe, behold, the man. If you are a study of the New Testament in the Gospels, someone said this, you know. You remember who said? Behold, the man. You're right. You got the answer, type it out in a chat room. Pontius Pilate. You are right. When Jesus Christ was standing just beside him and he was giving in to the demands of the crowd, he turned, he says, Behold, the man! Unknowingly, Pontius Pilate was speaking prophetically from Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Behold, the man! Why is this important? Because only a sinless man can pay the price for your sins and my sins. That is why in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, come read it with me. Every one of you in your room and your wherever you read this, chapter, this verse, it's such a wonderful verse. I remember this verse was right in the front of my, my previous church. Uh, right in the front. And it's this. Everybody read it with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. How, how clear can you get? One God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Wow. You know, the song comes to me. Oh God, you became a man. You took on flesh. Oh, so beautiful. Oh God, you became a man. You took on flesh. Oh, so beautiful. Behold, the man. But who is this man? The man is the branch. Is the branch. And according to the scripture, the branch is a term for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. I put your references down there. Zach, 
Isaiah 4 verse 2 and 11 verse 1, Jeremiah 23 verse 5, and Jeremiah 33 verse 15. It's the branch. In other words, it is Jesus Christ who is going to be the man. It's so prophetic. But what did, what did uh, 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 Zechariah, what did God ask Zechariah to do? Very interestingly, God asked Zechariah to make a crown of gold and silver and then after making the crown, crown Joshua the high priest. But wait a minute, Joshua is a priest. He should be crowning Zerubbabel, right? Because Zerubbabel was the governor ma, and Zerubbabel was the descendant of David. Don't you think he should crown Zerubbabel? After all, Zerubbabel is mentioned is, is one of the genealogy of Jesus. But no. And this is where the whole theological thing comes into its forefront. Uh, listen, today is more of a Bible study uh, than a preaching lesson. It's okay with you? It's okay one, uh, sometimes uh, on a Sunday we do Bible study rather than, than, than preaching, right? So, so let's examine it. Uh. The branch. And it's Jesus. Joshua, Yahweh saves, that's what it means, is a type of Jesus. So when Zechariah put the crown on Joshua's head, it is a typology of what Jesus Christ will do as the priest king. Joshua is a high priest and now he is crowned as king. Jesus as the priest king and by extrapolation, all of us as New Testament believers are a kingdom of priests. So what, pastor? So what? There are three implications. Number one, now hear me very, very well now. Huh? The first implication of the crowning of Joshua, even though he was a high priest, so that Joshua becomes a priest king, as to foreshadowing what Jesus would be in the New Testament. Number one, first implication is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will be the priest king. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will be the priest king, the high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I, I know, uh, I just mentioned it, and uh, those of you who want to know more about the order of Melchizedek, go back and listen to Pastor Isaac's sermon. He will share with you a bit more about Jesus Christ, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But what is the role of Jesus Christ as the priest king? There are two roles. Jesus Christ as the high priest comes to before the throne of God, pleads for forgiveness and himself is a sacrifice for our forgiveness. Wow! He is the high priest as well as a sacrifice. But Jesus Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords now not only ministers forgiveness, but also has the power and the authority to forgive our sins and to break the power of our sins over our lives. Whoa! 
This is our Jesus Christ. And when Zechariah crowned Joshua, he is foreshadowing the dual role of Jesus in the New Testament. Wow, this is amazing. This is really, really amazing. But now, you, you say to me, Pastor, how does it apply to me? This is the second implication. Just as Jesus Christ is now in the New Testament, foreshadowed by Zechariah chapter 6 in the crowning of Joshua, as the priest king, this role of the priest king is now imparted to all of us as New Testament believers as the royal priesthood of God. Whoa! This is very, very important. So your role and my role now as followers of Jesus Christ, as New Testament believers, we are both kings, I want to put a caveat to that, as well as priests of God. Uh, actually, uh, we, we are not so much kings. Uh. Don't, don't, don't do this. You know, the husband says, Oi! To the wife, bring me some coffee. The wife says, Why? Uh? I'm king, ma. No, la. none of us are kings. Only one king, Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors. We are not kings. We are ambassadors to the king of kings. So what do we do? Incidentally, I quote there, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, just to let you know that our role as New Testament believers is the royal priest of God. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, come, all of us read together. It's okay, just read scripture together so that you hear ourselves reading scripture. All right, those of you in the living room, bedroom, wherever you are, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to verse 10. Are you ready? One, two, three. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Now, all of us read verse 10. Are you ready? One, two, three. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, we are all chosen royal priesthood of God. So what is our role? As much as Jesus has two roles, we also got two roles. First role, we are not kings, huh? we are ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 to 21. We are ambassadors of the King of Kings, performing and executing the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, wherever we bring, we bring the message of the King. We represent the King and reconcile people back to God. That is our role as an ambassador. But what is our role as a priest? Our role as a priest is we perform the ministry, not of reconciliation, but the ministry of intercession. In other words, we bring before the Lord the needs of the people and we bring God to the people. We are the in-between. We minister forgiveness. We administer forgiveness to the people. Like we pray, we intercede. In other words, we build a firewall. We build the prayer wall. Listen, that's what SIBKL is doing now. 
I think from October 27th, right until November the 9th, we are calling the entire church and also other churches have joined in to build a firewall, to build a prayer wall over our nation because of the pandemic. And altogether, in our record, 825 people have registered and we are praying 24-7. Everybody takes half an hour slot. What are we doing? We are interceding. We are executing the duties of a priest because we are coming before God and plead for the mercy of God over our nation, over our homes, over our families. So that's what we are doing. So as New Testament believers, we come before God and minister forgiveness to the people. And this is what it is. Alright, so I'm going to show this to you, just to remind all of us. Oh, it's in, in, interestingly, you know in Revelations, I keep referring to Revelations because in my free time, I'm just doing nothing but Revelations. Do you know that this entire role uh, of king and priest is also affirmed and repeated in Revelations chapter 5, verse 10? You have made them, in Revelations, you know, to be a kingdom of priests, and priests to serve our God and they were in on earth. In other words, Scripture is very, very consistent. And your role and my role as a kingdom of priests will be affirmed in heaven. Isn't it amazing? Absolutely amazing. So, can I repeat this? As New Testament believers, we are priests in a ministry of intercession. As New Testament believers, as ambassadors for the king, we bring the ministry of reconciliation. The question I want to ask you is this. Are you exercising it? Are you fulfilling the role to, to bring reconciliation to the world and also to intercede, to minister forgiveness, to tell the people, hey, there is hope. Jesus forgives you. Hey, there is hope. There's no gloom and no doom because our sins can be forgiven by what Jesus Christ has done for you. You are forgiven and you can be set free. That's our role. Let me share with you a testimony that happened to me many years ago when after I came back from Bible school, uh, Regent College Vancouver, after my uh, uh, Master's in Christian Studies, I was invited to Kota Kinabalu, back to Sabar again, to do a banquet, a full gospel businessman's banquet. So after I shared and you know, I would give the altar call Quite a number came forward for salvation. Quite a number came forward for rededication. And there was one woman, they came forward to the altar call. And I noticed that she was weeping, weeping and weeping. So I moved over to her and I said, Ma'am, can I help you? She held on to me for dear life. And she says, Dr. Chu, can you forgive me? Oh, I was so shocked. Number one, she knows me as Dr. Chu because I was, I spent 14 years in, in Sabah, you see, as an optician gynecologist. So clearly she was one of my patients. And she says, ma'am, I can't forgive you. Only Jesus can. No, no, you must, you must forgive me. So I said, tell, tell me some more. And she told me that just before I left for Regent College Vancouver, she was among the last patients to see me in the clinic and she came to see me because she wanted an abortion. And of course, I didn't want to do it. I said, no. She begged me to do it and I said, no. 
And what she did was that she went to another gynecologist and had the abortion done. But you know, for three years, she carried the guilt. For three years, she, she knew that she shouldn't do it. She was a Christian. And she, 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 she knew that. And she felt so guilty, so traumatized. And, and the guilt was so heavy upon her. And, and now she sees me. And she asked me, can you forgive me? And I said, ma'am, it's not me, it's Jesus. But you say, I want to hear it from you. And I kept saying, no, it's not me. And then suddenly I realized, hey, she wants to hear it from me. And I didn't remember in the Bible, we must forgive one another, even though I got nothing against her. And so I said, ma'am, I just want to affirm you once again. Jesus forgives you and I forgive you. And you know that you know when she heard that, she just fell on the floor and she wept and wept and wept and wept uncontrollably. Three years she suffered. Three years she carried the guilt. And when I said, forgive you, not me, but Jesus forgives you, she was set free. I want to say this to you, my friend. Whatever that you carry for so many years, today, cut it off. Today, be affirm that you have been set free because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And the third implication is this, and I'm going to close. The third implication is that the role of the New Testament church as a body of believers, as priests, is because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. You know that after Zechariah has put the crown on Joshua's head, it didn't stay there. Zechariah took the crown and now put it in the temple. And this is what it is. Who is the temple? Us. 2 Corinthians 6, 6. Your body is now the temple. So where is the crown? Here, here, here. King Jesus lives in this temple. And that's the prophetic significance of why the crown is put in the temple. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. I'm going to close. I'm going to very close. What I shared with you is so important. Prophetically, it was done during Zechariah's days. And it is happening today. We will be forgiven and we can minister forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me on the cross, the branch. And we will branch out to share this ministry reconciliation to the entire world. But the key is this. Look at verse 15, and with this I'll close. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. It will not happen if you don't obey. We have to obey the Lord. So my prayer for you as I close is may we diligently obey the Lord and take the word that I've shared with you this morning seriously. 
so that we can be ministers of reconciliation. We can intercede on behalf of our family and our nation and we ourselves receive forgiveness from the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for this word. I bless you, Father Lord. I bless you. There's so many years even before you came, Lord, prophetically, this this prophetic act was there to foreshadow what you yourself would have done. And we thank you that you have come. We thank you that you have died on the cross. And we did this morning, the communion, the body broken, the blood shed, so that our sins can be forgiven. And, heaven, and having our sins forgiven, we can now encourage, we can minister forgiveness as a conduit of forgiveness in a ministry of reconciliation, in a ministry of intercession to our world without hope so that they can have forgiveness, they can have hope again in You, Lord. Oh God, help me to obey You. Help us to do that, Father. We bless You. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to close with this wonderful, wonderful worship song. I enter the gates. You know the wonderful song? Whatever they are, I can't remember offhand, but it's a wonderful song. Let's worship the Lord, shall we do that? Even as the worship team leads us. And even as we enter from the outer courts into the inner courts, into the Holy of Holies, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord, shall we do that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh Lord, we worship you. We enter the Holy of Holies not because of our own merit or our own right, but because of what you have done for us at the cross. We enter by the blood of the Lamb. And today, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive us all our sins and our trespasses. That truly, Lord, it's not by accident that we do that we do communion this weekend from Zechariah chapter 6 when we study this chapter, because it's so appropriate that through the body broken and the blood shed, we can find forgiveness. And you at our high priest, at the very moment in Hebrews chapter 6, is interceding for us. And we thank you, Lord. And having received forgiveness, we go out into the world now and minister forgiveness and tell the world there is hope there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We bless you, Father. So now, God, I'm going to pray that you will continue to be with us. Lord, I'm going to pray that those of you who need ministry, who need help, go to the online prayer altar and there will be pastors and people praying with you. Whatever it is your needs, whatever it is, they will be there to pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour, can I encourage you today, accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and your Saviour, even as you repeat that prayer after my message. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards all of you and your household and always grant you shalom. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. Some of you may have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible tells us 
that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved and you will have eternal life. Today, if you want to receive Jesus, why don't you follow me in this prayer? Father God, I confess I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you sent Jesus Christ, your Son, to die on the cross for my sins. He was buried and rose on the third day. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me and accepting me as your child. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.